can I just pause you for a second? What a fucking phrase that we have to use. And like, I did not expect to hear the words blood of the master today, but please continue. Yeah, well, it's, it's some dark, some dark shit. Master blood. And welcome to the new American Otaku. My name is Ryan, and as always, I'm here with my co-host Tommy. Tommy, do you like shields? Uh, yeah, yeah. Are you a fan of revenge subplots? Um, kinda. Do you like super hot redheaded princesses that are out to kill you and undermine the kingdom? Uh, because if you like any <laughs> of those things, you're gonna love the show that we're covering today. Tommy, what show are we covering today? Oh yeah, we are covering. The Rising of Shield Hero. The Rising of Shield Hero. That was a 2019 show, I believe. Yeah, the airing of the anime was 2019. Light novels, I think, started at 2014. So it's uh 2013. It's been out for a while as a book and not not super old as far as the anime. Yeah, goes. I remember I remember the season it came by in Crunchyroll. Uh, I actually didn't end up watching it immediately. I ended up kind of storing it up and watching it. It's because it's, it's a longer one. It's uh, 25 episodes, I believe. First season here that we're covering is 25 episodes. And for everyone listening, I think season two will be coming later this year. I think in April. So, you know, oh, if that's pretty, unless something pretty else happens to the entire world, that should be good. Yeah, so we think in April 2022 then? No, 2021 is supposed to be this year. April 2021 was in the past. It's July right now. So maybe it didn't hit its date. Or there's an actual... 2021 is when it's supposed to be coming out. (laughs) I thought you said April. I didn't... That's what it says on the the website I found. So they must have missed the date. My brain isn't working. I thought Ooh, that's, I was reading August. That's okay. I was confused because I thought I was a time traveler now. Me so, too. Which uh, would have been amazing. Okay, so before we go any further, there is something that we have to do. We want to give you a fair warning. We're going to have spoilers. Lots of them. Lots of spoilers. We're going to spoil the plot. We're going to spoil the characters. So if you haven't watched this show and you want to and you don't want it to be spoiled, you should pause the podcast, go watch it, and then come back and immediately listen to this podcast because we're going to get into some real stuff because you're going to have a lot to think about and you can think about it with us as we discuss it. So there's your spoiler alert. I would I would take that to heart and do we, do we want to jump right in? Yeah, I think so. Why don't you run us through a basic synopsis of what's going on with the show? You got it. Our story opens with a young man, I guess. He's about 20, I would say. Japanese youth uh, living his life I think now lives, for me, right? You're talking about now for now me. For the, me. The main, yeah, the MC. The, the main character here. He lives with his parents and uh, he is a self-described like homebody, but not a neat. He, he does go out and do stuff. And one of the things that he goes out to do when he, quote, runs out of money to spend is he goes to the <laughs> library. So we find our character right off the bat, heading to the library, cracking open a book he's never seen before. Uh, it's about a war in a different world. And lo and behold, he gets sucked right into said book. Now, yes, I'm not sure we touched on the fact that we're in a dark fantasy isekai genre here, but now you know that. it should that. be pretty obvious. <laughs> well, maybe not the dark fantasy part. Oh, well, you yeah, might have sure. gotten that from my op- from the opening when I talked about crazy princesses. But yes, dark fantasy isekai. Mm-hmm. We're talking swords, sorcery, and almost Game of Thrones-esque, like, you know, plots and ploys by, like, nobles and stuff. Yeah. So, Nalfami gets pulled right in. 
and he becomes one of four heroes of this world. And their right. purpose for being summoned is to protect this new world against these waves which come on some period. Yeah, there's these hourglasses distributed throughout the world that count down. And when they run out of time, then it spawns a wave of monsters. And all of the heroes are then summoned to a random location within that wave where they have to complete some objective, like beat some big boss of the wave or whatever, in order to mm-hmm. Stop the wave. Roughly, that that's what that's what ends up happening. So he gets sucked in. He's the shield hero. I don't know that we fully covered that. There's four heroes. Yeah, there's the sword hero, the spear hero, the bow hero, and the shield hero. So he's one of four that gets like brought here. Now for me, he's the shield hero, and um, you know, he's going about his way, trying to level up. They all start, you know, level one, and they have to gain levels. This is very, very much like a game. It's almost like I would say tower defense in a way, yeah, where these like it's waves a bit are coming. MMO slash tower defense. There yeah. actually is. A direct reference later in the show where he's like, is this like, he was reading a brochure in a town and he's just like, this reads like an etiquette guide for an MMO, basically. Yeah. So so throughout the show, you know, he's he's building sort of this little merchant empire and he's like literally making friends with various townsfolk and the people of this country and the world and he's trying to find his best way. Being the shield hero, he doesn't really have any good attacks, so yeah. he ends up finding friends and, and constructing sort of a little ecosystem around himself to fight these waves. So the waves come up and then him and the other heroes fight them off. And then at the very end, he's kind of found his way in the world and, you know, things are looking pretty good. Oh, but there's something we failed to mention, which was the fact that at the beginning of the show, everyone hates him because he's the shield hero. Because he's the shield hero. <laughs> like literally to the point where there's a church in the nation that he was summoned to that is the three heroes church and they purposefully omit the shield hero. They even call him the devil. The devil of the shield. The devil of the shield. <laughs> so that's where we get into a bit of one of the themes about this show. There's a lot of revengey bits about it. Mm-hmm. Like you will literally sit there and be like, oh my God, I hate these people. People like Malty, the redheaded princess adventure slash adventurer. Right off the bat, she is the only one to kind of step up to help the shield hero. Everyone else has party members, but the shield hero. And then it's like episode two that you find out that she is just. That's like episode one. That's how that's all. Is this all in episode one? one? Man, it's all packed in there. Something to notice about this show is that episode one is a double episode. So it's twice as long as all the other episodes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But she ends up kind of betraying him. She like lures him out and then she like claims he tried to, he got drunk and he snuck in on her and he tried to do lewd stuff to her. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. If you read about this, there was quite a bit of backlash about that from oh, really? non, oh yeah. <laughs> so according to what I was reading, non-Japanese audience, specifically American audiences, were outraged about the false rape accusation that she makes. Oh, boy. Because this is a, this is like a whole thing in the United States mm-hmm. with like uh, various groups that I won't name and get into about. But there was a whole thing about that where, and then when the producer was asked, he's like, well, nobody in Japan complained. So I don't, I guess it's maybe just a cultural difference. And I was like, yeah. okay. <laughs> And there's, there's, that's not the only thing about this show that's no. a little contentious. Earlier, you said that he kind of builds up an ecosystem of people around him. Yeah, uh, the vast majority of those people are are slaves. So yeah. he, he owns two slaves. 
as you're going through the show. He owns like a, it's it's weird. At first you're like, oh, okay, that's strange. Uh, uh, it's a raccoon person. And and but then then he gets like an egg. He gets an egg that just seems like a kind of like a chocobo from Final Fantasy. Yeah, it's like bird. they call them filolials, mm-hmm. right? So they're basically just chocobos. But then the bird definitely turns into a human <laughs> like real yeah. fast. And then it gets weird. It turns into a little girl with wings, right? <laughs> Who calls weird. him master, uh, which is... <laughs> Hmm. Yeah. On the surface, this is kind of like one of your fun dark fantasy, revenge fantasy style animes. But then you start to it starts to yeah. mix in things that get you going. Oh, OK. On that, like the reason that he's so mad, the reason he wants his revenge now for me here. And the reason he has to get kind of slaves is because multi framed him and then no one would help him. He got yep. no assistance. So yep. They kind of almost kicked him out. They were like, you go away. Everyone else will solve this. You can just. Yeah, they, they ostracize him for the most part. They yeah. ostracize him. They can't kick him out. They can't kill him so he does what he has to and but at the same time it makes him super pissed off at everyone else it makes him super pissed off at the country and and he starts finding his own way and and realistically it feels you know you get the sense that it feels like all the heroes are supposed to work together but literally none of them are each one is from a different version of japan each one of them has a different mmo that this world seems very similar to them except right, for now for right me. <laughs> so they're all left with like different opinions. But the funny thing is, is like now for me was a light novel otaku. Mm-hmm. Like he never played video games. He didn't have a, like didn't have money for a subscription or whatever. Whereas all of the other ones were like experts in in the game that they you know mm-hmm. played before. Yeah. Another thing to note about the other heroes, they're all kind of assholes. They're very selfish and mm-hmm. like immediately start making demands of the people who summon them and stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. They kind of do. And they think that he's kind of like a git because he doesn't know anything about video games and like isn't demanding things and isn't like playing ball or whatever mm-hmm. so they're they're kind of dicks honestly yeah they really set up now for me as like this nice guy and then they absolutely just crush him they gut him they gut him emotionally yeah and he kind of turns into he turns into a, uh like a maybe just a surface he puts on this mask of being a, a big kind of hater a big dick himself you know and as he, he like starts this little merchant empire but he's also going around making potions helping people but every time he helps someone they're like oh thank you and he's like give me money <laughs> yeah he, he's an interesting character right because he yeah. starts off and you can kind of identify with him you're like oh this is a nice kid he's he's a good guy he even mentions right at the beginning about how he helped his brother get out of some trouble and that's why his parents mm-hmm. let him stay there so mm-hmm. like he helped like get his parent his brother out of from a bad crowd and you know he's a responsible older brother who does the right thing but one of the big criticisms that I you know I act I had and I also read others had is like, he doesn't seem to have many faults when he gets down to it. He's like the nicest. He's just way better than all of the other people for the most part in this world, especially at the beginning. Cause you're not actually introduced to other characters mm-hmm. that you can like, that you'd like for a while. <laughs> like you make there's like the Smith who I don't think we get a name out of. I don't, I couldn't find a good name on him, but almost everybody invariably is just an asshole, mean, greedy or something to him right at the beginning. And it's not well into the show. Like when you meet other characters and like when I, when I say other characters, I mean, non slaves who mm-hmm. necessarily have to kind of be nice to him, but um, other characters uh, like in the, in this realm that are connected to it, that uh, seem to be nice and want to help him and things of that nature. Yeah, it is. It is good to point out like, while he does have slaves, like he isn't ever mean to them. And actually it, it's a little weird because, okay, let's, let's name, let's name the slaves here. Let's put a face there. He's got Raftalia, who is a raccoon girl. And he's got Philo, who is his, a bird girl bird person (laughs) 
Philolial. She she's a very advanced Philolial. Both of them. Riftalia starts as a literal child, but apparently the quote demi humans of this world, as they level up, literally like age really fast. So in like it's like a year per per ten levels huh. is what it seems to be. Because when he gets her as a slave initially, she's maybe about 11, 12 years old, but he then levels her up enough to where she's about uh, levels, like maybe about 16 years old. And during that time, she gains 40 levels because mm. that's where she gets capped at. So it's about 10 levels per year, which is just weird because it this happens not over the course of like a year. This happens like over the course of a month. Yeah, it's real fast. So she goes from being 12 to 16 in a month, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then and then Philo, who is a giant bird most of the time, gains the ability quite rapidly to transform into what appears to be a young, like very young girl with wings. Yeah, like uh like seven, eight year old girl yeah. or something like mm -hmm. that, right? Like we got on this subject because they are both technically because they're both slaves. His slaves. <laughs> and uh and he's never mean to either one. He actually is quite fatherly to them both. Yeah, he is he's like fatherly big brother and he never like abuses them or anything like mm -hmm. that. And the things that he does uh tend to be more like to try to help them advance and things of that nature. And it's clear from his character that he cares about them a lot. But this is actually something that comes up in some um, forms of media. I don't know if you ever watched the show Rome, the old HBO show Rome. Mm -mm. There was a bit of this sort of thing where there were in Rome, in ancient Rome, there were slaves. And in the show, they were portrayed as really liking their masters and wanting to be slaves. And there's a lot of like cultural criticism on this particular sort of thing because mm -hmm. it effectively, it's effectively slavery apologism. Right. When it's pretty clear, I think in most advanced countries in the world that slavery is just not a uh, not OK. Right. So it's a it's an interesting thing for the author of the light novel and for the producers of the anime to kind of explore. But it really is only explored in, I think, maybe the beginning, mostly and then a little bit in the middle. Right. Yeah. They touch on Raftalia's background and on sort of the abusive side of this as it seems like yeah. her entire village was put to slavery and then not a lot of them survived the cruelty of the owner. Well, that, that's an interesting thing to note here. Like when we're talking about slavery, I think many people who haven't seen the show might expect slavery to not necessarily be something that's legal. In this country that that now for me, the shield hero lands in, slavery is completely legal for demi-humans. Mm-hmm. Like you can just own demi-human slaves. So there's a bit of a kind of human supremacist slant slash Nazi slant going on here, right? So Yeah, and there's another country that we never end up going to in the anime that seems to be somewhat of the opposite. It's like the demi-human supremacy country. They talk demi -human about Demi-human country, yeah. And I, yeah. I think there might be a similar thing going on there, but with humans, like humans could be enslaved and things of that nature. So there's definitely contention between humans and demi-humans in this show. And then there's like outside of the realm of just like the stories world, like the world building, there's some some weirdness about it. But yes, you're absolutely right. He's never too, he never does anything wrong with either of these, for lack of a better term, slave girls that he owns that are part <laughs> of his party, which are necessary for him because he doesn't have any real attacks for mm -hmm. the most part because he's the shield hero. He requires on other people in his party to do the damage to monsters. Well, yeah, he levels up. He levels up with all of them. He, he builds his way towards being able to, like their goal, right? Their goal is to defeat the waves and none of them are working together. And yeah, it just gets us into these interesting concepts. I think, you know, if I had to 
What are your thoughts on like, what are the major arcs here? There's the first arc, which is basically the fall of the shield hero is the way Mm. I would put it, which is where you get introduced to the world. Um, You get the basic plot, you get the basic lay of the land, and then you get your basic structure of who the antagonists are. Not necessarily villains. There's no, there doesn't seem to be really villains in this show at all. There seem to be antagonists and the protagonist. So those who oppose the shield hero get established very quickly. And then it's kind of like a clawback revenge story. That's, Mm. I think, the first, the first bit. This involves him, you know, getting Raptali as a slave, her growing up, him dealing with the first wave, and then finding a modicum of acceptance from the village he saves in the first wave Mm -hmm. because literally the other heroes hate him so much they tell him that he cannot help them fight the waves he has to go off on his own (laughs) and that first one he ends up just saving a village that he was near because he knew no one else was going to yeah instead of actually going and like fighting the quote boss of the wave itself exactly and so the other heroes go do that to like eh, not take all the glory but like effectively to take all the glory and keep him out of there because they hate him because they believe that he did something deplorable to the princess of this world right Mm -hmm. the second bit I think is him on the road for the most part. So there's a Mm. whole series of him. He starts to work as a merchant and starts to travel because he doesn't want to stay in the kingdom town because the king hates him and the princess hates him and the queen is nowhere to be found. We get introduced to her later. But so he goes all across the land and then ends up establishing kind of like a trade network and getting to know people and things of that nature and also stumbles upon a lot of interesting things where the other heroes have messed things up and he Mm -hmm. has to kind of clean them up for them. Like, I think a good example is the spear hero ends up getting this cursed seed from a dungeon and gives it to a village that's like starving. And then when they plant the seed, the vegetation overgrows and starts sprouting monsters that kill everyone in the area and stuff like that. And he has to end up killing that thing and then using his skills to transmute the seeds into something that's more, you know, usable and stuff. Quick segue, which of the other heroes is your least favorite? You know, it's a toss up because all three of them are pretty shitty, right? <laughs> so, like, I probably hate the the spear hero the most, but I think he was meant to be hated the most, yeah. right? Motoyasu, he's the spear hero. He is like just the worst. He's pretty bad. <laughs> he's pretty damn bad. He's got kind of he's like of the of the four of them. He's the one who kind of has a hero complex. He mm-hmm. like now thinks of himself very highly because he's a hero. Also, he's like he's he's an idiot because the conniving princess is able to fool him at all times. Literally over it, over it, over again. <laughs> We, we like we talked about like slavery. She effectively has oh, him in man. some form of slavery, right? Like she can just control him like a puppet. What about you? Which uh, which of the hero? I, I imagine that you hated the the spear hero the most out of these. Oh yeah, no spear hero. I so Malty the the princess who later gets renamed to bitch. <laughs> yeah, that that's pretty fun. In, in, a, in a later yeah, in a later arc, right? She just I remember you know when you first watch the show you, you're you're unaware that she's horrible, and so you you don't build this like seething animosity in that first episode towards her. Yeah, you don't like her after it. But the second time we watched this here, oh man, I I had such a hard time watching the first episode because of her. Oh yeah, because you knew it was coming, right? And it, it almost makes it worse. You knew it was coming, but that like also just escalates all future interaction with her in my brain to, oh, she's just so obnoxious and you know it never gets better. So when he just, like you watch him continually be like, oh, 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 it just, ah. I hate him so much. He's not aware of that which is around him mm-hmm. in a way that 
you know, it illustrates just how limited of a human he is, right? Like he's un- incapable of being able to see the bad. He can't breed beyond just the surface. And so Malty or slash the princess slash bitch as she's later named, which is a whole nother thing that we'll talk about. She presents herself as a very beautiful, kind and, you know, ambitious, but, you know, benevolent princess. But as it turns out, as we find out later, she's like a psychotic pathological liar. Oh, yeah. Who has tried to kill her own family members multiple times in the past to secure her route to the throne. She's the oldest princess, but she's not the first in line for the throne because she's because a she's so batshit crazy, right? <laughs> like she's she's just she's like yeah. she has a personality disorder. I think they did a, probably a good job of really creating those characters to be disliked. Violently? Well, let's for another bad guy, for, for Malty's dad, you also dislike him, but he at least shows some diversity in his opinions, right? And and like some reasoning why he's choosing things. He's super gullible. And he- yeah, there there is they they talk about how he's afraid of the shield hero for to take his family away, but I never understood. I guess I maybe missed something. Do you do you understand that? Um, I think they're alluding to parts that we don't get to see, at least in the anime. I think this is like a pre- a previous, yeah, like a previous shield hero has done things. Like because they talk to at one point, a filio, filial, filial, whatever the bird, the bird people queen. They talked to the bird queen, and uh, she was raised by the previous shield hero. So we're not even interacting with the first group who's gone through this because she's like three, four hundred years old, something oh, like that. I thought that. it was like yeah, thousands. <laughs> I can't remember these. She's real old. She's real old. So I, I think that like the thing is, is that this one thing to kind of establish here is that these waves come periodically like they get dealt with then they die down and then they come again and then they have to summon all the heroes one more time kind of thing right so that i guess that was just like this isn't the first time that the, the heroes have been summoned so it's possible that the shield like a previous shield hero no it's it's very probable that a previous shield hero did something to really make this entire country sad in some way very you know, sad. maybe and maybe the king wasn't directly affected but it does seem like there's some historical feud that they have against this. Maybe they don't even know why. They just know that Shield Hero bad. One thing that they say about him is that he was the hero of the demi-human. So this country that he comes into being almost primarily a human-run, human-driven, human-occupied country may have some issue with that because previous Shield Heroes may have been a little bit more on the like, oh, we probably shouldn't enslave demi-humans. They're Mm -hmm. just as good as us, kind of, you know, slant. But then that just gets us into the whole human supremacy thing that's going on here. So it's not clear that like if they had more of open views, kind of like, you know, what we what we hope we see in like modern societies though, that they wouldn't think that way. So it's it's a little it's a little funny. I never I guess you, you I think you might be right. I think there's probably something that happened that we're just not privy to with with the king that makes him the way he is. Now this does not excuse his behavior though. Mm-hmm. It, it just gives you it gives you more of a reason because he also seems to be a very plotting, scheming sort of character, very similar to uh, the princess. They definitely make it seem though that he's mostly just being used. Yeah, he's he wants to be the plotting type, but he's kind of like a doting father who would do anything for his kids and has the wrong moral compass. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I'm just kind of coming to this conclusion here as we're talking, but man, a lot of these characters are very one-dimensional. Yeah. Very one-dimensional in this show. Like, he is just the doting father, and then he will do what he has to for his daughter. Mm-hmm. And then Naofumi is just a good guy, and he'll do what he has to to survive in the world. And Raftalia is best girl. She was actually voted best girl, apparently, at Crunchyroll Awards, like, a couple of years ago or something. <laughs> really? That was pretty funny. Yeah, she was voted best girl, right? Uh, so that's, um, that's a whole category that we could go into in an entire episode, but <laughs> I digress. She is faithful to Naofumi, looks up to him, slash is in love with him. And she just doesn't deviate from that, except in one arc where you get to see how she was terrorized mm-hmm. by her last owner, right? Which is, that's a whole thing. That's like, that arc was pretty, that, that was pretty hard to watch. You kind of hope that Itsuki, the, the bow hero, he kind of seems like he wavers between like, you know, Ren and, and Itsuki, the, the bow and sword heroes, waver between wanting to help Naofumi and, and don't not really believing him. And they go back and forth. The, the bad part is they just always seem to end up going back to being the same. Like you, you think maybe one of them is going to have a change of heart. And then they literally like two episodes later are just uh, back to bickering and being annoying. Yeah, they're I think their resting state, if I could put a put a term on it, the, the resting state for them is low key hostile. Like they're always kind of low key hostile towards everyone and especially the shield hero. It's interesting. You don't see them very much. No, you don't. It, it feels like they should be a fulcrum of the story, but you just think they, they show up every now and then are annoying and then go away. <laughs> this show is almost entirely just about the shield hero and his adventures, right? It's like very protagonist centric, but it's it's protagonist centric in a way that I think some of the other shows that we've reviewed so far just haven't been. Like mm. even take Overlord, which is another, I think it's by the same studio, Katakawa Studio. Mm. Overlord cuts away from Ainz from time to time. He's not like always right about things and stuff of that nature. Whereas here, it's like almost always, now for me, is morally superior to all of the other people in the entire world. <laughs> His only conflicts really are, are internal struggles, right? Yeah, and that's like it. He Like he has a couple episodes where he can't taste the flavor of food because he lost his ability to trust. And then, oh, it's okay. I have a slave girl who taught me how to love again right and this is like <laughs> like come on show <laughs> he's battling literally himself most of the time with this like shield this inner shield that's the anger shield I the think rage that, shield. The rage shield, that's right. And then I, I think towards the end, they start trying to develop develop more. But like towards the end of the show, they're kind of way beyond where they probably should have ended the show. And they're off into a complete different world, literally. During the arc where he's out cleaning up for all the other heroes, mm-hmm. he ends up coming across and escorting the younger princess of the kingdom back to the castle town. Mm-hmm. And you know, a few episodes go by and you know she kind of becomes part of his party because she's a magic user and everything's cool. It's another weird thing where she's like a little girl. So it's like this like 20-year-old being surrounded by like a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old body, an 8-year-old inside of a bird's body, and then the like 12-year-old princess of the like kingdom, right? So it's it's like a little strange, but you know, it's all fine. He's a good guy as we established. No no weird funny business or anything. Hmm. He ends up taking her back and then shortly thereafter ends up getting framed again by the (laughs) elder princess where they doctor some like seeing stone footage that shows him kidnapping the Mm -hmm. younger princess. And then we have this whole arc where he goes off with the kidnapped princess. That's where he meets the filial queen 
then ends up going, oh, she makes him promise that uh, he has to make up with all of the other heroes and work with them. Otherwise, she'll kill him and his friends, which is pretty brutal, but whatever. Ends up, he comes back, he gets his name cleared, he meets the queen, and then it starts rolling and rolling. Like at one point, the queen comes back because she ended up having to stay abroad because as it turns out, one hero was supposed to be summoned by each of the four major nations in this world. But while she was away discussing that fact, her husband and her daughter, the psychotic one, decided to get all four of them in their kingdom. So she was kind of dealing with the politics there. She comes back, holds a trial for the king and the princess. First, first helps save them from the Pope. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> the Pope is like trying to kill all of them. That's right. That's right. The Pope of the church was also trying to kill everybody. <laughs> the heroes, the monarchy, everyone. And it turned <laughs> out, so maybe this is the only saving grace of Malti. She seemed to be being manipulated by the Pope of the church so that he could put forth this plan to kill the heroes and then fight off the waves himself and gain power, complete religious and political power over this nation. So she comes back. After that, the heroes kind of work together. They fight off the Pope, end up killing him in like a pretty gruesome way. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Maybe want to describe that for our listeners so that they can have nightmares too. Yeah, now for me, like, discovers his penultimate rage shield move, which is, uh, he is called blood sacrifice. Ah, uh, yeah. In this, he, like, hacks himself open a bunch, all of his blood rushes out and goes into the ground, and then this giant, like, blood geyser just sort of appeared, yep. and out of said geyser is, like, a giant chain chomp, essentially. Yeah, I was, <laughs> was going to say, I think chain chomp's a perfect name for that. It's a <laughs> it giant, just, weird chain chomp. Uh, it just, like, dives out, bites the shit out of the Pope, and drags him into the bloody soup that now exists and then now for me wakes up like three weeks later <laughs> three days three days later or something like that everything's cool the oh, queen ends up holding a trial for the princess and the king that's where she sentences them to death and then now for me of course being the morally superior figure that is faultless says no don't kill them that's too easy the king has to be henceforth named trash and get a slave crest to become a slave which is something really quick to touch upon how do those slave crests work again yeah so in this world it's like a magic thing so they they like paint some ink on the chest of the person with with some blood of the master in it and then you are literally bound to do what that person says god what a can i just pause you for a second what a fucking phrase that we have to use and like i did not expect to hear the words blood of the master today but please continue yeah well it's it's some dark some dark shit master blood it's like master (laughs) Master blaster but more bloody so yeah, then like if the if the person who has this crest tries to defy their quote master, then they experience like an electrical shock almost it seems like. At least that's how it's portrayed. Yeah, it's almost like a, it's almost like as if they're on an electric chair. And they use this in the trial quite brutally against Malty who is a pathological liar. That, that's where we find out cuz the, the queen that's why they end up putting it on her. And so she answers every question and she lies about it and then is screaming the entire time and it's just it's brutal. That's, yeah, that's, 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 so anyways, mm-hmm. the shield hero intervenes right before they're about to be killed and says no don't kill them death would be too easy a punishment for them from henceforth the king will be known as trash and the princess will be known as bitch at that point we're left in this place where okay we've resolved the antagonist versus protagonist plot the protagonist has won he's taken the moral high ground things are wrapped up in a nice bow his name has been cleared everything should be good and right at this point 
I don't know about you, Tommy, but right at this point, I thought this would be a great place to end the show. Dude, they could have ended it there. They could have ended it like after the Raftalia, you know, so there's like a scene of Raftalia like saying some stuff to parents' grave. I feel like they could have ended there. Yep. <laughs> like uh, that would have been fine. And then they could have moved on to the rest they had of the season. about six opportunities season. to get off the highway, but they're like, nah, we can make it to the next rest stop. Yeah. Kids are peeing in the back seat, but they kept going. Yeah. I think they, they done goofed on this one. I think they should have stopped after this arc, but then they continue on. And you want to take us through what happens in the final, I guess, arc? I guess it would just be a single arc then. Yeah. The final piece to me is kind of wrapped up where they are informed of a sort of island that has a bonus experience zone. <laughs> it's very gamey. All right. Yeah. Which like things aren't, things are a little gamey in this, in this show. And then, then all of a sudden there's an island with a bonus experience zone. Yeah. And this is where like uh, now for me and his team have been capped at like level 40 and now they have access to, because their names restored, they have access to get a, what is it? A class up, I think. And so now their levels unlocked and they could go all the way up to wherever the cap is. Who knows? And so they go to this island. But really, really quick. There's also like a weird thing where they can't, he lets both Raftalia and Philo, the bird girl, mm-hmm. determine what classes they want to upgrade to, but they can't get certain classes like they couldn't choose the ones that they wanted but then they just drop that whole like they thing. explain like, it yeah. for philo they say maybe that's because you know of the philo queen thing because she gets like future philo oh, queen yeah. crown yeah they don't explain it for Reftalia, but and they also don't explain why that particular thing would lock them out of particular classes either yeah so it's almost like one of those arbitrary things where if you choose one skill in a video game it locks out another tree yeah, like they've, she's already specced into tank, and so she can't right, right. Not be a tank. You know, I, I'm actually kind of glad that they didn't. There are points in in the story where if they explained everything, I probably would have been just bored. But they left the they they give you enough and kind of leave a little bit of mystery, and then I don't know, maybe there's more to be found in other media pieces around this. But right, I, I wasn't super upset that I don't understand that yet. It, it leaves me kind of wanting to see the next season. So the final arc is when they go to Level Up Island. It's called Kalmira, I believe. And it's Kalmira, just some island. Yep. They run into some other people who seem kind of OP on the way. Yep. And then they're leveling up for a while there. And it they literally go from being like level 40 to I think you get a brief glimpse of seeing that they're level like 70 all of a sudden. Right. And they discover an underwater dragon clock <laughs> thing. Was it dragon hourglass? There we go. And they, so they discover an underwater dragon hourglass at that point. And oh my God, there's a wave in 20 minutes or it's like yeah, one we day get one episode of Calmira, I think. It's one like, like <laughs> one solid episode of Calmira. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, oh shit, there's a wave. Yeah. So, wham, bam. By the way, now, now for me can teleport. So he teleports back to the capital. It gets the queen on board with sending an army and boats in 24 hours. And all of a sudden, the wave starts. So there's people there. And this is where they bring back a character from the previous wave whose name is Glass. But it turns out that, like, Glass and these people who he was fighting with on the island are heroes from yet another different world. Oh, man, it's just so much right at the end. Yes, it really is. And it feels super rushed. And this is exactly the same shit that they did. And like, this is what makes me if let me I'm going to double check this right now to find out if Katakawa did this, because if they did this, this has got to be a Katakawa thing. They introduce this concept of heroes and the heroes have their weapon, right? The heroes from Glass's world call them vassal users. And I think that's what the show ends up using long term. It's like there's many, many vassal users of different Oh, types. I see. 
So Nalfami is the vassal of the shield. And you end up with some funny ones. Glass is the vassal of the fan. And the, there's the girl who uses like the crystals and stuff. Vassal of like schizophrenia because she hears voices from the stones, maybe. <laughs> I just, she talks to rocks. <laughs> hey, babe, what you doing? Talking to some rocks. Cool. I'm going to go over here away from you. Um, no. So, yes, I was right. Is This is a Katakawa. And so yeah. was uh, Overlord. Mm. So they did the same thing. We talked about this in the Overlord episode. I think that was episode two. Mm. Go back and listen to it if you haven't. It's a good one. In episode two, we talked about this. They could have ended the show and left it at a nice kind of cliffhangery, wet your appetite, but they just don't. They just keep going beyond. And it's almost like they're afraid they're not going to get another run. They're not going to get another season. So they're just trying to jam as much as they can in to get it all explained and tied up in a bow so that in future generations we'll know what this show was about. And I think that that's, I think it, I think it's a horrible idea to do that. Yeah, it feels like the pacing just goes out the window. Like the pacing felt pretty good for the beginning part of the show. And then you, you just start, it's like a cart rolling downhill and you're just going faster and faster and there's, it's just more and more to, I don't know, there's a little too much. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of this style of trying to like wrap things up in a bow. I'd rather they just drop the mic. The thing is, is with these shows, people like a Sekai. There was a time in this world. Come, come with me, young listener. Those who are who are younger than the ancient ones, like Thomas and I. There was a time in this world when a sekai wasn't a genre. It now is a genre. There was a fantasy genre that sometimes involved going to another world. Now that particular trope has been used so many times and it's so popular, it's a genre. It's a whole thing. If you release an Asekai, the reason why we see so many Asekai is because if you release an Asekai, almost invariably you're going to get a season two. Mm-hmm. Unless it's abs- absolute trash, right? Like you have, you have to go out of your way to not get a season two. So I just don't understand what why they would do this. And the only thing I can think is that it's fear. But I am here to tell you that fear, it's the mind killer when it comes to anime and everything else. I just, I, you know, honestly, Tommy, I just wish they wouldn't do this. I wish they would just, I wish they would treat it like art and try to make it conclude in a way that was meaningful as opposed to just rushed and commercial. I don't know. I, at least to, to walk away from the bad and try to go back to the good. In the final arc, you get a lot of a glimpse of, of potential, right? There's, there's other worlds. There's a reason. They start to talk about the reason and and the potential consequences of the waves. They they start to open the world up, but you know, again, it's it's a little compressed, you know. And then right at the end, there they Nalfami ends up like becoming the lord of Riftalia's old town, and they start building a little base. Like they really set themselves up for the future pretty well. And so I I am, even though it was very rushed at the end, I am still pretty excited for season two whenever that comes out. This is kind of like one of those things where uh, it's kind of the opposite of Golden Kamui for me, right? With Golden Kamui, I couldn't help but like it. And this show is like, I wanted to like it, but I couldn't help but find it problematic and troubling. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'll probably watch, I'll probably watch a season two, but it just wasn't like, I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't think much of it. But now that I've gone over it with a fine tooth comb, I just... I find it kind of distasteful, honestly. Yeah, there's a lot, right? The supremacy tropes, the slavery things, the rape accusations, the yeah, strange obsession just... over children thing. I don't, I don't know. There, there's some weird stuff. I actually think if they would have dropped a couple, just at least a couple of those like weird things, it would have been really good. <laughs> Like, it, I kind of like the whole, like, ooh, something bad happens, and then someone, like, rises up and, like, does a good thing. As far as this Asekai goes, I, this one isn't the worst one I've watched. 
No, that's true. <laughs> like at least, at least it is. Like the while the characters are sometimes quite flat, the 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 world itself isn't just your classic. Like, oh look, this guy came from another world and has all the knowledge, isn't super over pee because of it, and then just is trampling everything. And the bad guy keeps becoming a badder guy, and the character keeps getting bigger. It's a little more nuanced, and I, I thought that that was. Nice. Yeah, I feel like uh, maybe it was. It, it's very close to being something that could have been really, really good, mm. like really good. Like where I basically just gushing about it in this episode, as opposed to nitpicking about it, which tends to be what I'm doing about it, just because I feel like it's opened itself up to those attacks quite a bit mm. through the way all of these different things. But I feel like with a couple modulations of things, with a, like giving a little more depth to now for me and a little less focus on some of the weird stuff making the plot be not something as contentious as it was at the beginning or whatever. Like just little tweaks to things in the story, ending it sooner rather than going into a whole nother arc, maybe like dragging out some of the other things a little bit more. I, I really think that, that that it would have been top notch because there's also some some other things and we can get into that soon about the animation that I wanted to talk about and some of the some of the variability there because some of the scenes in this show especially that opening scene in the first episode man the animation is just gorgeous it's just like mm. Raftalia and Naofumi are on a beach and there's this great like great waves crashing into the shoreline and she's playing with a ball and it's just like this almost like dreamlike sequence where he's there but not there and it's just the animation is just so top notch so yeah mm. i think it had a lot of potential i just i just think they they kind of sw- it was a kind of a swing and a miss you know yeah i, I you know overall if we're going to dive into the ratings and stuff i think i i'm still pretty high on it it's not my favorite it was still enjoyable to watch again i think combing over it as hard as we did <laughs> And really criticizing it. There's a lot in there that you can poke into. But the opening theme's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I, I have a note here. Yeah. It was like neither good nor bad. I, I just, I didn't, didn't love it. Didn't dislike it. I yeah. guess there's two, two opening themes. They change halfway through. Yeah. The second opening theme, the first one, I think I enjoyed more. The second one, I distinctly remember the start of it because it just screams words <laughs> at you immediately. And, and and when I heard that again on a rewatch, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Just because it's, it's like so right in your face. Yeah, no, the uh, the ending theme was okay. The opening, they, they weren't offensive. I didn't dislike them. Uh, the sound design was okay. Mm-hmm. It was, again, not exceptional. It's kind of standard fare. Like there's only so many sound effects you need for a swords and sorcery anime. Like you need horse mm-hmm. sounds and like wagon sounds <laughs> and sword sounds and clanking stuff blowing up. And you need up, like yeah. some people clanking screaming stuff. when there's like big battles going on and you're and some, maybe some fire there somewhere. Magic, magic-y doodly bits, and then you're pretty much done, right? Like that's all you need for a show like yeah, that. Call it a show. No, I, I think it was. I think it was pretty. The production value was pretty high overall. This was clear that uh, Katakawa was actually putting some money into this, assuming that it was going to do well based on the reception of. The the light novel. So I think they they, they didn't really, mm-hmm. it wasn't like they spared no expense, but they definitely put their money where their mouth was on it. Uh, there are various levels of animation though, and they're stark with like levels of quality. Yeah, you usually comment on the usage of 3D in yeah, they, shows like this. What what are your thoughts on, on this show's use of 3D? I thought it was just as abhorrent, if not more so. It, it, it's very similar to the usage of 3D and with the zombie army from Overlord. When you see really good 3D animation, and there is really good 3D animation in this world, it's fluid and it's good, right? 
It's clear that mm-hmm. it seems to me that it's just not something that's made it there in the anime industry yet. And Katakawa is mm-hmm. using it much, they've got to be using it much more for a cost-saving technique than anything else. They don't have to pay the animators mm-hmm. to do this one scene. There's this one particular scene that I was just like laughing, it was so bad, where there's some archers on a boat and they look like, I, the way I thought in my head was like Minecraft, you know, <laughs> characters, like with the rigidity of their motions and stuff like that. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, those are people. Uh-huh. Sure, anime. And it's really funny because there's no one else on the boat. It's just like five of the exact same character model of human archers and in various like, you know, pulling of the draw, you know, they at least timed the the pulling of the bow is a little bit different or whatever. And then like a fireball hits them and they all die or some shit like that. So... It was just like that, that I didn't like. You had mentioned that you, you didn't really notice it as much, which kind of brought us to a, um, I thought that was interesting. Cause like you said that you mostly watch shows on your phone. Was it? Yeah. I think I, I consume more content kind of on the go. So I think maybe when they're a little more compressed, but you know, it's not like I have a terrible phone or a terrible screen on my phone. I just think it's just smaller. Yeah. I'm always watching on a large screen. So at least, you know, like I've, I watched this one on an iPad and I watch them on like, you know, laptop screens and monitors and stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting that like, I think it, I think you might've been onto something when we discussed that, that some of these animation things that occur are just much more noticeable, the higher resolution and the larger the screen you can like take in. Right. Yeah. And like the thing is, like for me, if they wouldn't have had such good parts in the show, because there's some scenes, like I was saying, they're just gorgeous. Mm. I probably wouldn't have been so harsh on the bad part, which is like it's something I've noted, I think, in multiple episodes at this point. I noted it about Golden Camaway, where I came across poorly animated parts of it, but they did it so smoothly in that show that I just didn't notice in Mm. as it was going. I actually had to see the keyframe to go, oh, okay, this is this is pretty bad. This is this is crappily drawn. What do you think about the animation sound overall? Do you like it? Dislike it? Think the production level is high, low? Yeah, I liked a lot of the animations. I liked the uh, the, the general styling. It's appealing to to my sensibilities. You know, there's nothing that, that super stood out as just being weird. Um, to throw back to like JoJo, you know, it wasn't something that was striking in any particular way. Sure. Yeah, there's a couple scenes here and there where they set up pretty sunset and there's... There's some emotion baked into the visuals, but you know it wasn't like really out there, kind of like JoJo was. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, JoJo was yeah. beautiful in some spots, right? So I mean, yeah. And there's also dudes like constantly flexing, and there's like this particular over-the-top style that right, was pervasive right. amongst the the beauty and the color choices and all these other things. So yeah, this sound-wise, you know, there's not not much that I really caught on to as being weird or different, or I, I didn't really notice it. So yeah. You know, that's fine. It wasn't bad. I didn't notice the badness of it. But. Yeah, it's, and like, again, like I yeah. said before, usually if you don't notice the sound design, that means that they did a good job. But they didn't do like such a crazy great job that when I'm watching it, you know, I catch moments where like a perfectly timed change of music or, you know, the whole emotions of the scene were reframed because of some audible cue, some emotional switch through music right. change, something like that. Like that happened in uh, Real Life a couple of times, you know, and, and that show. Real Life had, had particularly good orchestration, I think, for like the scene orchestration. This show does have one song that I think is actually kind of amazing and how good it is. And that's when Raptalia, it's the flashbacks of Raptalia when she was basically enslaved by this like really evil nobleman who just basically tortured demi-humans for pleasure. It's it's pretty fucked up and makes you sick when you watch it. But the song, as she's having a crisis 
remembering and trying to like break mm. out of those memories. There's a song and it's almost like a hymn and it's it's just like a, a lone female. That song lent a lot of weight to those scenes, I thought. I thought to the to the level where it was mm. like exceptionally done. I don't know if you if you that caught your attention during the show or not. Yeah, I guess I didn't notice the music at the time. I mean those there's so much going on in those particular pieces like trying to unwrap yeah. Raftalia's history and emotional state and she's trying to overcome something and you're dealing with kind of an unsavory subject and yeah. I feel at this rate we should just do Goblin Slayer and get the trifecta going here <laughs> as far as like unsavory oh, fucking shows. <laughs> Next week on the new American that shows, Otaku. <laughs> that shows something. Yeah well i you know, I think maybe it's time. I think we're going to have to give this a number. You said that you liked it a little bit. You still liked it pretty well. What what would you rate this overall? Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed my time rewatching this. I think I'd probably give it a good solid somewhere between seven and eight. Seven, seven. We'll just say seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm like a five five to six. I think I think this is the first show mm-hmm. we've watched where I just don't have any interest in going back and watching it again sometime in the future. Like I remember some of the things that I liked about it, but I was just so. I, I, I just, I was, I was kind of over it by the time I was through it the second time. Uh, maybe I'm just optimistic for season two. I think season two could really completely crush my want to ever watch either one of them again. If it's, if it's like. It's possible, right? Like if it's, if it's not very good. Like I, like I said earlier, if they, if they dip into some of the, like the other concepts that they are kind of opening the doors for, it, it could be quite an interesting story. Yeah. And I think you're right about that. And I think I will give season two a try, but I'm going to hard bail on it if it gets weird, <laughs> right? Like I'm just going to hard bail on it if it's just like, it starts to get like way too up in its own weird theme ass because they because the thing about this show is that they like linger on these topics it's mm-hmm. not just like mentioned and then you go it's like they linger on them for a while and they're meant to be used narratively to evoke some emotion in you mm. and like i just maybe i maybe this last couple of weeks i just wasn't in the mood for that mm. but i i don't like feeling like i'm trying to be programmed by a show sure. i want it to be yeah. seamless that i don't even notice it right <laughs> and like there are some shows where we've reviewed where it is like, I just don't even notice it. And I'm like, oh, and it hits me and I have a genuine emotional reaction. Whereas this show, I felt like I was reading between the lines all the time about why I was supposed to be angry. And that just made me angry at the writer. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. Um, so we got a seven from you. We got a, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call it a six. Okay. I'll call it a six. Right on. Um, any other thoughts? Any other hot takes? Anything you want to talk about before we close this one out? No, I think we've thoroughly covered most of what I could think of to cover. So I think we're good to go. All right. Well, that kind of wraps it up for Rising of Shield Hero. A uh, couple of good takes on it. I think that we covered the gamut of critical review and analysis. Uh, if you have any thoughts or think that we touched upon things or were fair or unfair about anything, you can let us know at new.american.otaku at gmail.com. On the next episode, we're going to be switching gears like 180. And I kind of like that. We go from Rising of Shield Hero until our next episode, which is the sports anime all about cards and poetry. It's Chihaya Furu <laughs> season one, which is I, I'm excited for this one. This is a show where I'm not going to feel bad about there's not a lot of slavery in the show. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, have you ever watched the? Have you watched Chiafudo before? I have not watched this one at all, but you have recommended it to me. So here we go. We'll give it a good watch. I think it's going to be pretty good. As always, try if you don't want to have us spoil it because we're going to spoil the heck out of that show on the next episode. Watch it. We're going to watch it over the next couple of weeks here, and then that way you can be ready to sit down and judge our opinions about it when we <laughs> when we record the next episode. Yeah. 
and release it. So, all right. Well, that's about all I've got on the docket here. Tommy, you got anything else you, any parting gifts for our, our beautiful, beautiful audience out there? Nope. Just sit down and watch some anime. Adios people. Later. <laughs>